Hey friends, welcome to But What If You Did? On this pod, we are all about some serious millennial real talk and diving into those uncomfortable topics we've been conditioned to believe we just shouldn't talk about. I'm your host, Allison, and right now, when I look around, I see so many millennials trying to navigate these big life transitions. And well, if that isn't you, maybe you just have this gut feeling that it's time to pivot, but you're standing in your own way because you just don't know where to start. Maybe this isn't what you want to hear, but successfully navigating any big life change starts with putting in the work to learn about yourself. If you want to level up in life, it starts with learning to be self-aware and building those life skills that we simply weren't taught in the classroom. So are you committed to doing the uncomfortable growth work? Well, if that was a hell yes, then grab some coffee and let's get ready to dive right in. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of But What If You Did? I'm Allison, and I am just once again so excited that you decided to come spend some time with me today. So heading into February, I am shifting our focus onto how to manage change and just how to be a little bit more adaptable in our lives. Um, I've been getting a lot of questions about this coming off of especially the last couple of weeks where I talked about our personal mission statements and just what to do when you're feeling kind of resistant to change. And now I want to dive into more of like the tangible tips side of how I can help you really learn to embrace change and work through that. So to kick off the month, I have a very special guest for you. And um, I think this is going to be a great conversation for uh, you guys to just kind of dive into this topic a little bit with us. So I would like to welcome Melissa to the podcast. Hey, thanks for joining me. Hello. Thank you for having me. Excited to chat tonight and kind of nerd out on ways that we can be kinder to ourselves. Yes, I love that. So, Melissa, why don't you um, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what it is you do? Will do. Uh, my name is Melissa. I live in New York City. I'm a public speaking, to- co- public speaking coach <laughs> that can't speak. Yeah, that was cute. I'm a public speaking coach and my focus is primarily on storytelling. I find that when people are able to talk about themselves, they're better able to talk about life and real world stuff and the pain and the triumphs. It just comes a little easier when they're able to bring a voice to their story. Uh, I'm also a fitness instructor and uh, I'm a cancer. I was born on June 27th and I love long walks on the beach. (laughs) I'm a Libra and I am very much a Libra. Like, (laughs) yes, it's so spot on. I love how accurate it is when I read my horoscope some days. I'm like, oh, how did you know? It's like you were talking just about me. I was right there with you. Yes. Um, Yeah, I'm excited to talk about a little bit how to use your story to kind of navigate those things. Because I think that's especially like that ties back to everything from a job interview to how you network with people and just how you meet new people in general. Um, Absolutely. So one of the things that we had talked about that I think will be super helpful to this audience is the idea of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. I know that this is part of Carol Dweck's book on mindset, and that was one of my all-time favorite personal development books, and it definitely um, struck a chord with me and it stuck with me for a long time. But yeah, I would love to dive into that a little bit and how um, that can help with navigating change and the story that you're telling yourself or others. Yeah. 
My so my first exposure to Carol Dweck's uh, work, I was still working in higher education, so I was a, a higher ed professional for about ten years, and I remember remember sitting down with two faculty members that we were on the same committee, and they introduced this topic and growth mindset and fixed mindset and college students and how do we get them to think about their work here at college in this capacity, and I just slow blinked at them. <laughs> Because intellectually, yes, this makes sense. And on the back end, as professionals, how can we challenge folks in a way that they want to say yes, but not so much in a way that they become frustrated and they give up and walk away? Now, when we are applying this work to 18-year-olds that just want to get drunk and take naps, uh, the challenge is slightly different. And so I, I, in my head, I was like, yeah, this makes sense. Kudos to the academic world for thinking about this and how can we explore these two concepts. And I deal with these students day in and day out, outside of the two hours they get with you in class. And if you talk mindset with them, they are going to slow blink at you. Yeah. Uh, I'm not doing that. Uh, where's the popcorn? I heard there was free popcorn, free pizza. That's where I'm going to. And so my challenge in my work on the student life side was how do we make that concept of mindset in general prevalent in the conversations, but also secretly deposit it into the work that we did in the activities that we offered um, in, in the student life in student life office. So that was a big challenge is how do we make something exciting and challenging and mentally stimulating, but not so much that we set folks up for their own perceived failure. And that, that's hard because when you're 18 years old, you think you know it all. I know that I'm not a good public speaker. I know that I'm not good at math. Well, if you already know it, anything that comes out of my face isn't going to make any sense. And it was the students that were like, oh, I'm not good at this. I want to get better at it. Those are the ones that showed up. They got frustrated. They pushed through. They did the puzzle. They tried the thing. They, they interviewed the faculty members that was frightening for most folks, but they were like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to push through it. That's what I'm here for. And those were the students that persisted. Those were the students that, not that they were better to work with, but like secretly a little bit. <laughs> um, but you see, the, you see the growth tremendously more clearly when you have those folks that are, are up for the challenge. And it, it starts with what the voice is saying in your head. I can't, I won't, I, then, okay, you can't, and you surely won't. Um, and it's the, the invitation that is accepted by the students, by their minds, that the experience is better for them and for me as an employee. Um, and when we look at our stories and how we're set up for that, it's at a young age, right? We see it mm-hmm. in our parents, we see it in our older family members. Do they fight through? okay, that's, we can learn this. Um, or do they simply toss their hands up in the air and say, well, it's not for me. And we learn that too. And as adults, ugh, that's hard to watch. And it's, it's hard to listen to people give up, especially this past year, especially this past year. And I know you've seen it and you might've had moments too yourself where you're like, I, what, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do I next day? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's that persistence. It's that grit. And we, we were talking about how you kept your morning routine yeah. and that's a game changer. That is a game changer when it comes to mindset and knowing that you're preparing your body, you're preparing your mind for any day ahead. It doesn't have to be a full schedule, but that is huge in setting your mind up for new challenges. It's funny. Cause when you were saying that, um, 
you know, coming from a, like, I feel like I really have developed my growth mindset right over time. But when you talk about the stories that you tell yourself in your head, I grew up telling myself that I was bad at math because someone told me that when I was in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, somewhere around there. And so all through middle school and high school, it was, I was always in the lower level math classes. All of my other classes were the higher level classes, but math, I just wasn't good at math. Well, once I decided I wasn't good at math, I did absolutely nothing to try to learn it. And I had absolutely no one tell me to try to learn it or show me the steps to try to learn it. So all the way through college, I was just bad at math. And even to this day in my adult life, I catch myself like in my day to day job, like I don't have to use a lot of math, but I have to understand it enough to be able to communicate the math to other people. And I still catch myself being like, People talk to me in numbers and I shut down immediately because I've developed this story for so long in my head that I'm bad at math. And it's the like retraining your mind. And so like now I've gotten to a point where I can stop myself and I'm like, you're right. I didn't understand that at first. Give me a minute. I need to work through that. Or you're right. It's not that I can't do that. It's just going to take me a little bit longer. I need some time to process what you said so that I can write it out for myself or whatever. So like I catch myself and I've tried to reframe my mindset around like, it's not that I can't do it. You're right. I can do it. I just, this is new for me and this is scary and therefore it's going to take me a second and kind of learning to acknowledge that. Yeah. Even just saying those words is a little frightening to our brain. Um, Through my course, I have a guest coach that comes in and talks to uh, the cohort. Um, And the course is called Show and Tell with Mel, Public Speaking, Challenging Folks to Get Over Their Fear. And so the coach that I have um, come in, she's a stress resilience coach, and she talks all about our brains and its impact on everything that we fear, from public speaking to roller coasters. Our brain is really smart, really lazy at the same time, right? It accepts information and then, okay, path of least resistance accepted, moving on. So if somebody in kindergarten, when we were standing in front of the room, it's show and tell, laughed at us or snickered or rolled their eyes, our brain said, well, we're never doing that again because that was Mm -hmm. frightening and it was reinforced by our audience. And that thing decades ago is taken in by our brain as fact. And our brain wants to protect us. Our brain wants to keep us safe at all costs. Fight, flight, or freeze. It's really good at those three things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we will find ourselves in different scenarios and our brain will respond accordingly. This is not safe. We are going to get out of it however we can. And in the last year, not safe has been staying home all the time. Not safe has been being a first responder and having to leave home all the time. Not safe has been going to the grocery store, checking the mail, walking the dog. And when there's so much stimulus telling us this is not safe, our brain is very confused. Our brain is very tired and sending us mixed messages about how we should proceed. So by the end of the day, even if you did quote unquote nothing, you're exhausted because your brain has not stopped. And what our brain has also done in the last year is consume. We've consumed so much junk (laughs) from TikToks to politics to recipes. How many of you listening right now have made bread? (laughs) I was just going to say that. (laughs) Like, and this is where we make bread. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And so in the past year, we've consumed probably a lifetime's worth yeah. of funny, silly videos about dogs, cats, and the like, uh, embarrassing videos of people in the gym because we want to remember what a gym is like. <laughs> And just the consumption has been on overload. Our attention spans used to be seven seconds, worse than a goldfish. It's probably even less than that. I can't <laughs> wait until studies come out and be like, our attention spans are now negative two. <laughs> like we got nothing. <laughs> we got nothing. Yes, that is exactly. So I think that this starts to tie back to part of it is too that we tell ourselves a lot of stories. So like I was watching the club, which is how we met. It's an online community um, I was watching the training last week um, from Laura Gallagher, and she was talking about how we tell ourselves these stories and that it's not necessarily like that we're afraid of the change. It's that it's the pain that we perceive to be associated with the change. Um, so how do you help to coach people through when they when you realize that like they're just telling themselves really poorly written stories and they're living by these poorly written narratives. And really it comes down to like learning to reframe these stories for ourselves in a more positive light or in a more optimistic light, I guess you could say. Yeah. The reframe is huge and that takes practice. Something that comes up in our our cohorts and in our classes all the time is this, I want to come off natural. Well, that takes practice. <laughs> mm. And so does retraining our brain to, to tell it, this is not frightening. You will not die. Uh, you're going to be okay. And yeah. we need to provide our brain proof. So when we prove a story wrong by surviving the talk, by going on Instagram live and surviving, we might be a little sweaty, but we survived, um, by going for the walk through town with our face masks on, whatever that perceived threat is, we need to provide our brain proof that it, it is in fact incorrect. And that's scary. And so something that um, it might not seem very different when you say it, um, is this concept of being ready versus being prepared. Um, I'm ready to go outside and live life again, but are you prepared? Have you lined up the face masks? Have you lined up, you know, and I'm, we're using real life right now as the example. Um, have you lined up, you know, living in New York City? I've taken more Ubers in the past year because subways are pretty frightening. <laughs> the homeless mm -hmm. population, uh, right when the pandemic started, really took over the subways because no one was commuting. And so going to work for some folks that were first responders looked terrible. You know, they, they were constantly exposed. They were constantly in quote unquote regular life, but to them, they know that everything shifted. And so kind of using this idea now of I'm, I'm ready to start something. Um, let's take, let's take a different example instead of the pandemic because it's so scary and frightening and blah. Uh, we've talked about it enough, uh, <laughs> but let's like take a, a workout routine, right? I'm ready mm -hmm. to change my life. Well, okay. You're ready. Awesome. Sounds like mentally we might be ready, but the preparation, do you have dumbbells? Do you have a trainer? Do you know your measurements? Do you know how much you weigh right now? I think we confuse the two a lot. And so much of that is how our brains are set up for this thing that we want to do. We can tell ourselves that we're ready, but when the environment changes around us, when we uh, intentionally change the environment around us, that is when we become prepared. That's a great point. When you intentionally change, that's when you become prepared. I love that. Um, I think back to just even starting the podcast, like 
all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm ready to do this. But I had to go through a lot of steps to learn how to podcast before I could actually record a podcast. Um, I had to take a course. I got a microphone. I got the right type of headphones. I had to learn how to upload to a hosting site. Like there are all of these steps that, like you said, it's the difference between knowing that you're ready to do something and being prepared and actually able to do something are kind of a different um, thing. So another thing that we've kind of talked about, and I think that this ties into the stories that we tell ourselves and just how we present ourselves and how we choose to react to change is the importance of word choice and how depending on the, the stories that you're telling yourself and the word choices you're making, you might have a more optimistic outlook on something. You might feel a little more down about something. Um, I think this also kind of ties into just like mental health in general and how we're all experiencing different phases of mental health, I guess you could say, um, just as a result of the pandemic and kind of trying to learn to integrate those more um, effectively in our daily lives. Yeah, our, our words matter. Our words matter more than they did before and they matter outside of politics, inside our homes. It's, uh, it's key. And in the stories that we tell ourselves, I can't do it. Or I, I slept in 10 minutes, so I'm already 10 minutes late. So I might as well not, right. We rationalize things away so easily and probably more so now than before. Um, but reframing the brain or retraining the brain starts with the words that we select in those stories. Um, I used to think that uh, affirmations were like this woo-woo, ridiculous thing that like the super rich told themselves, but they don't have to tell themselves because they're super rich, right? This is a dramatic story. Um, And now I realize, oh no, (laughs) I need to write down like every day, like I got this. I'm smart. I'm good at what I do because you need little reminders when the world isn't cooperating, when you feel inadequate, inefficient. You need that reminder in your brain of like, no, I got this. I have people that trust me. People have sent me their money because I'm good at this thing. And now they're a part of everyday life for me is, is writing down, well, also the club sent you a planner that says, what are your affirmations for the day? So that helps. <laughs> it does help. But, but I think it too, it, like, it comes down to like hearing it in your own voice. Like hearing your own voice say those things. So like, I am worthy of this, or I am successful, or I can achieve this, or I am competent. Like hearing yourself actually say it out loud makes such a difference. And I agree that like, I used to be the person that was like, no, this is a little much for me. Like, this is not really how I want to start the day. But now that I've like start, I consistently start the day by saying three affirmations out loud to myself. I've really started to believe them. Like, And it wasn't until I started writing them and actually saying them that I think that they started to like click in my brain. And now when like hard situations come up at work, I hear myself saying it over and over and over. And I'm like, nope, I am competent. I am competent. No matter what this person says, I am competent and I am capable of handling this. Or I am worthy of this situation. Or I'm worthy of this going well. Or I'm worthy of this life. Like, um, but yeah, it could totally goes back to you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone and um, just try it. And three easy words. I am confident, competent. I, and, uh, the past couple of, of months, I am safe. 
I find myself writing in my gratitude journal, I am safe. And whether or not you lost folks in the pandemic, just seeing that on a piece of paper, hearing your own voice say it, I am safe. I am healthy. It is a reminder that no matter what you in this very moment are okay. And we have to tell our brains that. And I used to think too, when I I would take yoga classes on and off here and the meditation at the end, remind yourself that you are safe. And I'm like, safe, what does that mean? Like what? And now I get it. Yeah, I yes, that's actually I haven't used that one, and I'm like I really should use that one more often. And the like, I, I am healthy. Oh, um, yeah, I purposefully I capital letters. <laughs> yeah, just like going to work and knowing that you're potentially exposed to COVID pretty consistently. Like everyone has masks on, but then you hear every other day, "Oh, this person has it now. This person's going to be out for two weeks. This person like they're reminding yourself that I am safe. I'm healthy. I'm doing what I can. Like. I think that that's such an important reminder. Um, So talking about all of this and just like word choice and the stories that we're telling ourselves and reframing this and helping our brains to tell our own ourselves better stories. I want to talk a little bit about transferable skills, because I think, like I said at the beginning, like you can tie this to a job interview. You can tie this to whatever. And you could pull so much out of these stories that you're telling yourself that are used in so many facets of your life. And it's not just, okay, I'm prepping for a job interview or I'm writing a resume or I'm writing a cover letter or I'm writing a blog post. Like these skills, the communication skills, the people skills, the soft skills, like those are so transferable across so many things. And I think sometimes that feels very overwhelming to people and they have a hard time seeing that like X skill translates to this as well. And that like when you're building a resume or you're looking ahead to the future or you're trying to decide what's next for you, it doesn't always have to be the black and white, like, I'm a good communicator. Like, no, there's more to that than like using your actual story to tell them why you're a good communicator. Yeah, uh, so much around this. Um, I worked in higher ed, like I said, for 10 years. And that job had so many facets to it. It didn't even fit in a one-page job description. And I remember reflecting back and when I wanted to move on to a different position, I would look back at the job description to include it on my resume. And I kept finding myself, well, what about this? Why isn't that in the job description? I did this. That's not on the job description. What about that two-week thing that I, why isn't that? And legit, my boss was like, other duties as assigned. (laughs) And I was like, these deserve their own lines. <laughs> what do you mean other duties what do you as mean? Assigned? And so yeah. with, with, especially with this transferable skills conversation, our, when it comes to our resumes as well, we should constantly be revisiting them, constantly be looking and saying, okay, in this job, sure, on paper, I was responsible for blah, blah, and blah. And then I took the lead and did a talk in front of 3,000 people that's different than I'm a good communicator because now whoever's reading that piece of paper can see that's a lot of people. No matter if it was six words or six hours of a lecture, that's still impressive for folks that you were able to manage that. And so knowing that your, your, your resume and your, your cover letter should be dynamic and alive and constantly evolving and changing and shifting just as you are in your work. Um, I think people just pull it out and dust it off when they need it. But in, in the act, as you're solving a problem, putting that into words, how, how did I solve this problem? 
How is this a skill that I use probably every day in my work that I can put on my resume? I can tell the story in my cover letter. Um, even, even taking one little snippet and, and putting it into words. I want to be blank at blank position. Here's a, a quick snippet of why I'm the best person for this job. And being able to articulate that story and being able to do so in, and for me, it's, it's three capacities that I coach in three different ways. What's the long version of this story, right? If you were to give the, the keynote speech of this story, uh, you're going to give me every single detail, um, what's the problem, and then resolve it. And then there's the IGTV version of the story, <laughs> the, the three to five minute version, like sum it up pretty quickly. You'd go a little long in a job interview, but worth it because at the end you're the hero and, and you learn something and yeah, great answer to that question. And then there's the two sentence version of it is, well, we dealt with this problem and I stepped in as the leader and within six months uh, it was resolved because I used my skill of strategic planning word soup there. Um, but being able to <laughs> consolidate that big story, you have a medium sized version of it. And then that quick grab. So no matter where you are, networking event on Instagram, trying to get people to hire you, or at least refer you to other places. Or if in fact you do have to give a keynote speech one day about how awesome you were at your job and how you employed these three amazing tips, then you can tell that story in detail. And when you can tell it in those three different ways, we, we know you know the story inside and out. When you tell your story, a story, answer a question in a job interview, you know you know it and it doesn't sound memorized when you can do it while you're doing other things. So if you're washing the dishes and you're thinking about how you would answer an interview question, that's, that's bringing it to life. Now you can give an inflection and body language and, and all this love. So if you know your story and can do something else while you're saying it, huge tip there, you got it. A little, little away from the actual question here. Um, so when it comes to transferable skills, knowing in the moment that it is not in crisis, it is not um, in, in painful moments that we figure out, oh, I'm good at this. It should be every project, every instance where we tried something new and we stepped outside of our comfort zone, we stepped into that growth mindset. This is challenging let's give it a whirl and you see what happens. That is a skill we add onto that list. That is a skill we pat ourselves on the back for because it isn't something that we've pushed into before. And while it might sound cheesy and corny and silly, I wholeheartedly believe enthusiasm and energy is a transferable skill. Because if you can smile your way through mopping a floor, guess what? You're going to smile your way through the most terrifying job interview of your life. If you can bring energy to transcribing the encyclopedia, (laughs) that's a game changer. People are looking for energetic, that energy, that vibe. Um, And no matter what the task is, if you can bring joy to it, if you can bring joy to the team, yeah, life is hard. Suffering is universal. We're all crummy and crabby and cranky, and yet we smile, we persist, we push through because we're humans and that's what we do because we have to eat and pay bills. Those are really fun things as adults. (laughs) And so we push through and those that have pushed through with energy, with enthusiasm, have probably fared a little better. 
the ones that kind of got stuck in the, I'm not good at anything else, or I don't want to do anything else, or I can't do anything else. Those are the folks we need to scoop up, give them a big mama bear hug and kind of talk them through this process because the quote unquote end of the world was not the end of their world, of their skill, of their contribution. We just have to figure out how the picture shifts for them. We need to start painting a new picture. We need to paint outside the lines for those folks. And giving them a hand is, is, well, is, is we need to. We need to figure out how with our mental strength and fortitude, how we can kind of pass that on. It might not be fully contagious. They might be that jump on and be like, yeah, of course, you've shown me the way. Um, but extending that hand, extending that help um, so that more folks that feel stuck and feel frustrated and are sinking in and settling into the annoyance of this pause. It's not even a pause anymore. It's a full stop. Um, they can find their way through it. <laughs> We've reached full capacity. Yeah, we're at full stop here. Yeah. But how do we get them through it too? I love that. I love the idea of taking the story from the long to the medium to the short. Cause I think that that's really, really, really important. Um, I feel like I do that with the podcast. I'm like, the long is the podcast episode. And then I try to make it shorter with the blog post. And then I try to make it even shorter with the Instagram post every week or the Instagram story. But like, it's a completely different, like, I don't know, those were all new transferable skills for me that I've never really thought about how that actually translates back to my nine to five career and how I could use that in an interview, that same skill set that I've applied through learning to podcast. Um, so I love that. Yeah. And always being a student too is huge. Always. How can I learn from this? Even if it's the most, if it's the weirdest thing you've encountered, if it's the most boring thing you've encountered, how can I learn even one little thing? I'm going to put that in my back pocket because chances are I'm going to need to revisit that. And I also agree with the whole, like, write it down as you go. I think that like, I preach a lot about the power behind journaling. And I know that journaling can come off as like really terrifying to people when, Well, journaling is just not for me, but like, that's the thing is they tell themselves a story that journaling is not for them, but how much have you actually tried journaling? Maybe it's that you don't like to just write on an open piece of paper, or maybe it is that you just need to write. Maybe you need a prompt that tells you what to write about. Um, I've tried to be better about like, if I wake up and I like just have a lot on my head, just writing down whatever's in my head. But at the same time, there are mornings that I'm like, okay, I want to journal about this particular thing because I'm struggling with that and I want to work through that mentally. Um, But a career journal is something that I've heard a lot about on other podcasts lately. And I think that that's super important of like, when you get home at the end of the day, if you had those wins and those quick wins and those things that went really well for you, where you stepped out of your job description and you did this really great thing, write it down and put it in a journal and tag it or put a post-it note on it in a certain color so that you know that those are your wins or go put it on your resume right now. I think like you said, like your resume and your cover letter are these like living documents that you should be constantly updating and not, um, yeah, just not like waiting until it's, oh, well, it's been six months since those things. And I don't really remember what I did. Um, you know, my job right now, like I'm taking on a lot of responsibilities that I wasn't taking on before the pandemic and it's a great learning opportunity. But if I were not writing down those things that I'm doing every day, I'm not going to remember them at the end of this project. And those are the things that are going to help me get to the next step in my career are the things that I'm doing outside of my comfort zone now. 
Um, so just keeping that running list, that journal, whatever it is for you, I think that that's a really valuable um, tip that you brought up. Something my former boss had us do after each talk or each online course or webinar, any any big project, uh, we would have to come up with a ops and gems list. And ops, simply opportunities that we can improve on, um, areas that we realized along the way, oh, that was too expensive or that took too much time or what opportunities for growth were, were there. And gems being what went well. What was worth the time? What do we need to do more of? And I, I take that with me everywhere I go. What are the ops and gems of this project? And like you said, in a career journal, okay, what are the ops? Um, and then you can even go, you can dig into that. The ops are there because I, it's just not my zone of genius. So, okay, I'm going to put a star next to that. Maybe that's something in, an, in another job that I can get better at. And those gems, right? You star those because especially the ones that are in your zone of genius, that give you life that you're like, I could tap dance my way through this and feel so good. Then how do we highlight that in the future? Um, so just taking that little mental assessment and then putting it pen to paper and having it um, to revisit is, is key. Um, every three to six months too, just kind of having that check-in with yourself of, okay, three months have gone by. Do I feel bored? Do I feel excited? Um, mm-hmm. and, and making little changes. Okay, I'm bored. What do I need to do? How, uh, maybe it's, it's add another workout in per day. Uh, maybe it's one more walk per week. Maybe it's a two-month trip to a different country, right? And only you can kind of weigh what that is for you because when we get too stuck or too rigid, you know, there, there's freedom in routine, but when we get too stuck or too rigid in that routine, we lose sense of excitement and joy for ourselves. And depositing a little bit of joy, a little bit of love in there. And even if you're stuck at home, you know, it's a, it's a different route that you take on your walk. It's a different... Um, path that you go to the grocery store, having these little, little just nuggets of joy of, of curiosity is really the word that I want there, um, can change your, your mindset, right? That's how we, we kind of take those little shifts from fixed. No, this is how I make my sandwich. Um, and, and we just kind of shift that little by little. It's a muscle we have to work. Um, and how do we, how do we create opportunities for that to be a little bit challenging, a little bit scary? It's like video games. The next level is a little bit challenging, but not so much that you just give up and like throw the whole console out the window. (laughs) It is just challenging and just exciting enough that we stay connected. We stay involved. I think that that the routine part of it and how that ties to mindset is also a really good point. Um, I know like we've talked a lot about how like I kept my morning routine very consistent the entire pandemic, regardless of the fact that I was unemployed for eight months. I still got up at the same time every day and followed my same morning routine because that was what kept me grounded and what kept me going and gave me that like sense of normalcy. But it also was the thing that helped me stay really positive and focused on things because part of my morning routine is writing down three things I'm grateful for. Part of my morning routine is doing daily affirmations. Part of my morning routine is journaling. Part of my morning routine is working out. And that was the exercise portion of it. And so like these little things were were, were ultimately helping me to maintain a positive mindset, which had a trickle effect, not just in my own life, but in the other lives around me that I surround myself with in my circle of influence. Um, which then hopefully helped them to spread that amongst their circles of influence. 
Um, but besides, you know, like morning routines and journaling, do you, what types of routines do you see a lot of people um, kind of build in their lives that help them to thrive and or what kind of routines do you have in your own life that you think are really valuable? I love audiobooks while I'm doing something else. So if I'm doing something that's mindless, brushing my teeth, making breakfast, putting coffee, headphones on or in, depending on which set of headphones I've, I've grabbed, um, and just consuming someone else's words sometimes shuts off my own brain because my brain is very talkative. <laughs> and if you're able to consume someone else's words just for a little bit, or like right now I'm listening to Barack Obama's book and it is like 8 million chapters. <laughs> Um, but I'm also, and, and my boyfriend will yell at me for this. I also listen to audiobooks on double time and he's like, it's Barack Obama. You do not double time Barack. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, <laughs> but also it's 30 hours long. I need to get through this. <laughs> You're like, but I don't want to be listening to this for the next five months. <laughs> yeah. Like I have, I have things to do. <laughs> um, but audiobooks has been a big one is getting someone else's words in your head because we've been so limited with the people that we've been able to see, the social events have disappeared. And I, I was thinking about why, why am I in my own head all the time is because there's, there's no one else. There's no one else's. <laughs> it's, it's just me. And so hearing yeah. other people's thoughts and words, um, it, it just kind of helps you kind of break up your own patterns uh, a lot. Getting outside. I am terrible at it. I haven't left the house in like three days and we have a dog and it's just, if Dave <laughs> takes it on, he walks the dog and I'm in here, type, 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 type. But it's, I know I feel better. I know that big deep breath, even in 20 degree weather, revitalizes me. It's not the same recycled air that we have going through the apartment. Uh, and even, even 10 minutes, six minutes, go around the block, go outside and come back inside uh, could be enough to just give you a little bit of energy. Um, when we talk about routines in particular, I always, always, always think back to Hal Elrod. Not sure if you're familiar, but he, mm-hmm. uh, win the morning, win the day, right? The miracle morning. Yep. And that might be where you were inspired for your morning routine, but a lot of it. I is read that just, after I started my morning routine, but it was really helpful even to like solidifying it and just very tangible tips for how to incorporate that. Yeah. And, and he, he's a big proponent of like, even if you do this for 10 minutes, meditate, visualize, journal, affirm, move your body 10 minutes each. Listen, there's 50 minutes that have gone by. And I love how he also reinforces that. Yeah. I call it a morning routine, but you don't have to do it in the morning. Go for your walk in the evening. Take, take Mm -hmm. that time for yourself. And I am terrible at it, but I am learning. And I think even and, and knowing and and knowing that even ten minutes can change your attitude and your energy, and then experiencing it. You could read it in a book, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh it's all, it can only be ten minutes, and then you do it, and you're like, oh, 10 minutes just changed everything. That ten minute meditation, that ten minute of just silence, it really did just allow space. It opened up space for me and and my brain. Yeah. One of my favorite things that he talks about in the book is to stop telling yourself that it's early <laughs> and it makes it a lot easier to get up. And I tell people that all the time and I feel like they look at me like I'm absolutely crazy. And I'm like, no, really, when you get out of bed in the morning, what's the first thing you tell yourself? Your negative self-talk says, 
oh, it's so early. Yep. Or, oh, I didn't sleep well last night. Or, oh, my alarm was going to go off in five minutes. That's not how you're going to wake yourself up in a positive headspace. And like wh- how your day starts sets the tone for your whole day. So like we're not setting ourselves up for success when we're saying, oh, I don't want to get up or, oh, I hate this. It, it's so early or, oh, I didn't fall asleep early enough. Just stop telling yourself that it's early. I started just being, so I get up at 4 a.m. Most people think that's crazy. I like 4 a.m. personally now. (laughs) I've really adapted to that time of day. It's very peaceful. I have my whole, like I said, my whole morning ritual. But um, for me, when I get up, I try to make a very conscious effort to start the day. Wow, I'm excited to get up and drink my cup of coffee. And like for me, that's enough to start my day off on a joyful note. Like, Um, But it took a lot of practice and it took a lot of like getting, okay, wow, I'm really excited to start the day. Wow, I slept great last night, even if I didn't. Like, it's what you tell yourself. It's the stories that you tell yourself and your mind doesn't know the difference between what actually happened and what did. It's how you start to tell yourself that something happened and then your mind's like, oh, okay. So just tell yourself that you're in a great mood and that you're thankful to start the day and see how things change for you. Make your first word. Woo. (laughs) (laughs) I swear people, (laughs) there are three things that people tell me that they, when they do them, it's when they wake up early, it's (laughs) when they exercise and (laughs) when, um, God, what was the other one someone said to me today? Now I can't remember it, but it was just like, there are those things that like every single person's like, aren't you proud of me? I got up early today. Aren't you proud of me? I got in my workout today. And I actually am because I feel like I've made a positive impact on them Yeah, because I speak so highly of how I like, I'm like, no, this is what really works for me. And I talk about it, like you said, with energy and enthusiasm all the time. And then it makes other people want to try it. And I feel like I'm making an impact on them that way. Yeah. I will say two things uh, in response to your 4 a.m. ridiculousness. <laughs> um, there is a difference between our brain saying, I'm tired, it's early, blah, blah, and our, our body. And I had an example mm, of this today. Yeah. I woke up this morning and it, it wasn't early. I had eight hours of sleep um, and I had this horrible stomach ache. So I don't know if I ate too close to bedtime or anything like that, but my body was like, you need to lay back down or you're going to just throw up everything. And there's nothing inside of you right now, but you need to lay back down. And so knowing the difference between your mind saying, no, I'm bored, I'm tired, blah, 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 and your body saying, this is not the time. Go back, take the rest. And I think a lot of people will use the latter as an excuse to not work out, to not uh, make that cup of coffee at 6 a.m., to not have an earlier wake-up time because they confuse the two. Oh, yeah, I, I'm just really tired, so I need this extra hour. Mm, mm, maybe not. Um, if your foot mm-hmm. fell off, yeah, sure, take the extra hour. <laughs> right. If you wake up nauseous with a migraine, those are different signals to your... your. That's your body saying that you need to rest. Yes. yes. Your brain saying, oh, it's so early is not the reason to delay the wake up because, and I've done that a few times where I just hit snooze, 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 snooze. And, and at one point I'm like, okay, you're awake. Just go do the things. You have things to do. Just do the things, just do all the things. the things. And then I brush my teeth and I'm like, oh yeah, no, I slept great. This is fine. Um, and the second thing I wanted to add is that for folks listening, I want you to know that upon this recording, the current time, she's already late for bed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
she's already not going to get eight hours based on the time that we are recording this. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. And then when I come in the next morning, it's funny because people can always tell they're like, mm, you were in a bed by eight, were you? And I'm like, no, no, I wasn't. No, I was doing this thing last night and I just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I'm very much uh, a creature of habit and routine and um, I preach about it regularly. That's my other thing. Bedtime. Like if I'm in bed by 8 PM, everyone knows that that's what time I go to bed. And if you text me after that, I will not respond. Um, But I had to set some pretty clear boundaries around that. I get people to understand that. (laughs) I was in a session with the club and I remember, and this was like three weeks ago. And I distinctly, it was just a a very clear sentence that I was like, I was today years old when I realized that in order to get eight hours of sleep, I need to be in bed for nine hours. And everybody in the room were like, either nodding like, duh, or nodding like, oh my gosh, you're right. (laughs) I was like, I'm glad I'm not the only one. You're like, no, but really. No, but really. Yeah. yeah. You have to be in bed for eight hours. If you want seven hours of sleep, you have to be in bed for seven hours. If you want six hours. So whatever you need to feel your most revitalized and energized at an hour, because you're not going to get in bed, fall asleep instantly, and then wake up at that time that you said you were going to wake up. Life doesn't happen like that. It takes about 14 minutes to fall asleep. So respect the 14 minutes. <laughs> Put on your meditation, your abundance mindset, whatever you need to fall asleep. My guy's name is Simon. I use Insight Timer and he is just brilliant. I make it to about minute nine of 59 minutes every night. Like I don't hear anything else this guy says. I was talking to a client today. I was like, he could be telling me that I'm a, like a brilliant murderer at you know an, an hour in and I, got, I don't hear it. My, my subconscious is hearing, my unconscious is hearing it. I don't. So I don't know what happens after like minute nine or 10, <laughs> but I'm here for That's it. That's amazing. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so basically what we're telling everyone is that you need to go find a Simon for yes. your life to help you fall asleep. And yeah. Who knows what also, happens? I love the 14 minute fact. That's amazing. Yeah. And it, it's like, why am I today years old when I'm learning these things? Like, why? Right. Why are we in our 30s when we're, <laughs> when we're finally figuring out how life works? I just, I don't know. Yeah. Like, hello, we, we've, we've done this. Schooling system did nothing. What, parents, apparently that wasn't a thing that they, they were told to teach us as, as parents. We didn't learn those life skills. No. We learned how to get our high school diploma, go to college and start families. Yeah, Yeah. that's it. And I I, I always come back to this too with my course, Show and Tell with Mel. Like we were not told how to speak in public. We were not told how to do a lot of the things that we've talked about tonight, these transferable skills, this growth mindset, this saying yes to challenges. We were told to, we were graded on it. We were never taught how to. And so when we wake up and we were like, why can't I do this? Why is this so hard? We were never taught how. And a lot of it is a step-by-step or exposure and practice. Um, When you speak in public, you might get really sweaty or you might turn red. Nobody told us. So our brains panicked when those things happened and they just simply marked that as not safe as a threat. And we respond in kind. And so if you are today years old, when you realize that you need to be in bed for nine hours, I invite you on this journey. Go get in bed right now. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. Um, Yes, I agree with all of that. Well, this has been super fun chatting with you. I want to wrap up with one final question. This is my favorite thing to ask people at the end of every interview. And that is, 
When you look back a year from now, what do you think you'll be most proud of yourself for? I think it will be a lot of what we talked about tonight is the grit. I, my personality type gets a little obsessive and knowing that I can say, no, I can set boundaries and push through and keep working and find a a different way. Um, and just challenge that creative brain and say yes to those challenges and, and go all in on the stuff that brings me joy. Um, and all of that comes with grit is saying yes over and over and over again, enough times where you figure out what you like and then you figure out what you don't like. Mm-hmm. Well, and on that note, it has been such a fun conversation. <laughs> I've learned so much in the last hour, especially although I go to bed every night, I don't give myself nine hours. And now I'm like, my do I need to be in bed by seven to get my full eight hours of sleep? Like, I don't know why this is just dawning on me now. <laughs> Here to help. I'm fascinated by the 14 minute thing. Like this is great. <laughs> um, anyways, I hope that you guys find this conversation as exciting and fun as we did. And we encourage you to connect with both of us through um, Instagram. Melissa, why don't you tell them how they can find you? Absolutely. Uh, my website is themelissaruiz.com. And then on Instagram, I'm at melissa.a.ruiz. Awesome. Well, friends, we are so excited for you to hear this conversation. And um, yeah, let's kick off February with some um, positive mindset vibes as we uh, learn to manage change and adaptability in our own lives. And on that note, um, I will see you all. Right back here next week, same time, same place. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, but I want to take a moment to celebrate the fact that you showed up and put in the work, even if it felt hard. Growth doesn't always feel good, but it sure does mean you're leveling up in life. For show notes, blog posts, downloadable resources, and more, head on over to butwhatifyoudidpod.com and be sure to join our But What If You Did community insiders so that you never miss an update. Just scroll to the bottom of the screen and sign up for free. And if you vibed with this episode, I would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts telling us what vibed with you. This is the best way to help the podcast grow and I just love hearing how the pod is resonating with you. Simply take a screenshot of your review and send it to hello at alisonpalank.com. That's hello at A-L-Y-S-O-N-P-A-L-L-A-N-C-K.com and I'll send you my exclusive Life Lessons Roadmap for Surviving 2021 Workbook as a thank you. See you soon.